welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hi, my name is Kayla. I'm from the Vaughn site. And today, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 44, and verses 50 to 53. Jesus appears to the disciples. While they are still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe him, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. In 490 BC, uh, historically we know that the Persian army landed on the coast of Greece and they were prepared to take it over. And they were an empire and the Athenian army came out um, to meet them from the city of Athens, 26 miles away on the plains of Marathon. And by all accounts, historians say that the Athenians were outnumbered anywhere between three to ten times the size. And so the people in the city of Athens were literally waiting, you know, wringing their hands, expecting defeat and then death. And, uh, and as, the, as history goes, the Athenian army miraculously held off the Persians, defeated them. But the people in the city, obviously being 26 miles away from the plains of Marathon where the battle happened, had no idea that they had won. And so this is now part, they don't know whether it's legend or not, but they are told that the watchmen on the walls saw a runner a long way off who had run straight from the plains of Marathon, the 26 miles to the city of Athens, which now is where we get the distance for the marathon. And the runner came and at the bottom, at the front of the city gates, yelled up to the city, victory. And then he collapsed dead after making the run from the battle. Interestingly, that, that the Greeks have a word for a messenger and the message that that person brings, a message of victory to a people who desperately need it. The Greek word is gospel. Um, and which is so interesting because in our series uh, that we're calling History Maker, that we've been journeying through the life and the story and the impact of Jesus Christ and how his story has changed ours, his four biographers each called their accounts by this word, gospel. And so we can say actually that the definition of it, the word gospel, is a message of good news from a passionate messenger to a people desperately hoping for and depending on on it. 
And this we find actually is the most profound and accurate way to describe the life of Jesus. And that um, his story has actually not only changed history, but has changed ours. And that we are a people eagerly hoping for and depending on this good news. Somebody said it this way, that Jesus, in fact, is both the messenger and the message. That he came to us as a messenger, but he himself was the good news. That's why each of the biographies call themselves the good news of Jesus Christ. And the question is, you know, as we find, as we look at Jesus' story, we realize, yes, we are a people desperately needing and hoping and waiting for good news. And when we, when we use the word good news, we don't mean, hey, good news, it's going to be sunny tomorrow. You know, that would be good news. It's like, no, the good news is that God created our world and all of us as humans as beautiful. And yet inside all of us and everything God created is brokenness. That, that because of sin, everything is fractured. We, our relationship with God is affected and distant and fractured. Our relationship with each other and even our relationship with ourselves. And so that sin has really affected and infected everything. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how it's, it's like an infection inside everything beautiful that God has made. Both out there, but also in here and all around us, between us with God and with ourselves. We know that all is not right in the world. And the good news of Jesus is that God has inserted himself into human history. That God has sent his son. As one person described, it's like the author of the play writing himself into the play so that the people inside of it would actually know him. And over these last few weeks, we've been talking about how this explains the story of, of good news. That God has actually come to mend all that is broken. To heal all that is hurting and sick. To forgive sins. To bring us back together. And to bring us back to him, that this is the good news. Interestingly, though, his first followers, the disciples, they didn't actually understand any of this. They didn't realize it was good news until the very end of his time with them on earth. And in fact, the scriptures that were read for us today describe two events that became history-making events for them. That when these things happened, suddenly they understood, oh my goodness, this is all good news. Like even though Luke was writing it later and we've been working through it, they didn't understand, they were living it, they didn't understand it. They didn't realize it was good news. In fact, most often you find um, the writers describing the disciples as confused, perplexed, afraid, and doubting. <laughs> right until something happened at the end of the story. And the scriptures that was read for us at the end of the book of Luke, which has kind of been our guide for this, explain what those events were. The first one is actually something we celebrated 40 days ago on Easter Sunday. And, and since that first Easter Sunday with the resurrection of Jesus... Every Sunday since then is actually referred to as Resurrection Day. Because when they had seen their Savior, the one who was king, the one who they hoped would rescue them, die, and then three days later actually ate with them, understood it. And, and the, the account talks about how Jesus says to them, give me a piece of bread. Give me some fish. I'll eat it. Sort of a strange reference to us. It's like, what were they talking about? Well, they saw him, but they were like, is that a ghost? Is that an apparition? Are we hallucinating? And he said, no, just give me something to eat and I'll show you. I'm flesh and blood. He even says in the text, this is me. It's me. When they saw him and realized that they had seen him die and they actually saw him in the flesh alive, something changed with them. And they realized this, this is now... And, and he actually spent um, 40 days with them and appeared to up to 500 people. And so, so many different people saw him and actually experienced and ate with him. And 
as he was alive with them after being dead, he was explaining to them. He wasn't just proving to them that he was flesh and blood. He was going back over the whole story of scripture, over their story or over the, the history of the world and said, yes, I am God in the flesh. I have come into this world and, and began to explain that so that they understood, oh yeah, you have changed history. You have changed our story. It wasn't until he explained everything to them after he had risen from the dead that they said, we get it. This is good news. But the second thing that happened uh, is something that we talk actually a lot about the resurrection, as we should. The second thing that happened is actually something that we celebrate in the Christian calendar on May 21st, a week and a half ago, but that we almost never talk about, something that really I never really thought about much growing up at all, even though I grew up in the church. I had Easter's and Easter Sundays and went through all of this. It's the ascension of Jesus. Um, and, and it's described like this. Um, that, that Jesus, when he appeared to them and taught them at the end of these 40 days, the scriptures and the text that you read and the, the little kid's video that you saw, said Jesus actually ascended into heaven. And they watched him go up. That he, he was, and, and then you read it, you think, well, well, this is weird. Did he like, he disappeared because he died. And then he reappeared. He's like, ta-da, I'm back. And now I'm disappearing again. I'm going up into the sky. What is that about? And we use the word ascension. We think, oh, that was when Jesus went up into the sky. Which to be honest, is just kind of a strange thing for all of us is what is that about? But they understood not just the resurrection, the ascension changed everything for them. Why? Because the ascension was the description, not just physically, of Jesus going up into the air. And he'd actually talked about when, I be, when I'm taken up, when I'm lifted up. And they saw it happen. We need to think about ascension not just in terms of Jesus physically. Actually, he wasn't actually leaving the space. He was entering a new space that he was becoming, in a sense, king. When you, if you think about it like this, that... that um, you know, we are technically part of the British Commonwealth or whatever, but there was a day long ago where we were ruled by a queen and there was a, there's a throne. I guess there is a throne in Great Britain. Now imagine, I'm sure you can go see it. I don't even know if you can, but like if somebody saw it and ran up the steps, uh, you would say they were kind of ascending the steps to the throne, but unless they were actually the queen, they don't get to sit there. Um, but that's actually what the ascension of Jesus means. It was describing him climbing the steps to the throne to take his rightful place as the Lord of everything. It wasn't that he was actually leaving them and departing and the space, although he was going up. He was entering a new space, a realm where he was now going to, instead of just being um, Jesus of Nazareth that they could touch in the flesh at one point, at one place in human history in Jerusalem, he was now taking his place as the king over all. And the ascension actually describes him becoming king over all. Which is why they do something when these two things happen that the disciples up to this point had never done. Look what Luke says. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I never saw this before. In the entire book of Luke, you never hear the disciples worshipping Jesus. They worship God when Jesus does some amazing things. They give glory to God because that's what you did when a prophet did a miracle. It was when they saw his dead body now alive again with them eating and they saw him ascend to the throne. Then they understood you're the king and they began to worship him. It changed everything for them. And they took these two events and they expressed them in three words. And these three words were the three things, the three words that the, the earliest disciples went around everywhere saying to everyone, Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus is Lord. This was the earliest proclamation or gospel proclamation of the good news in three words that they went everywhere saying. The Greek translation of that was Christos Kyrios. The reason these words were so significant for, for them, we're going to talk about why it is for us too. For them, in those days and in that place, Jesus was never declared as Lord. Caesar was Lord. They, the, the Romans, and if you were a part, if you were a Roman citizen, you were part of the Roman Empire, that is what you meant to de, were meant to declare, that Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. And in fact, um, it wasn't just sort of that he was the political leader. At that point, emperor worship had become to work its way into the Roman Empire. And so the emperors were considered gods. And so they literally went around saying, and you had to declare, Caesar is Lord. And yet you have this group of people starting to say, no, not, not Caesar, Jesus. Jesus is Lord. This is so important to us as we understand, well, what does the good news actually mean to us? I have to be honest, like I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, um, some of whom are followers of Jesus, that in this day that we are in, where there's a lot of suspicion about government. And people are like, well, the government's hiding things from us and the government's doing this and the government's doing that. And um, there's belief about, oh, maybe we're being manipulated or like we're being taxed too high or they're not spending tax dollars properly or whatever. Well, think about the, the early church. They were living with a government and, and emperors who weren't, they didn't suspect were trying to take stuff from them. They were taking stuff from them. They were living under a taxation system of 90 to 95%. In fact, by the time Luke was writing this under the uh, uh, emperor rule of Nero and then and Domitian after him, Christians were literally being thrown to the lions. They were dealing with a power that seemed so much greater that they were powerless against. We think, oh, we think, oh, the government's manipulating. They were living under a government that was literally grinding them to the ground, killing them. And yet they went everywhere and say, no, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's actually a reminder to us as, you know, and, and I just want to speak honestly if I can, that sometimes when we, we talk about, oh, the government and conspiracy theories and all this kind of stuff, all it does is actually make us afraid and feel like we are powerless and it places power in government and, and says, oh, they're, they're doing this, they're doing that. The early Christians had every reason to think that way. And yet they said, no, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. It also meant that Jesus was a Lord unlike Caesar. Caesar had a kind of rule and a kind of way of, of dealing with them. And even blood was a normal part. It was the Roman army was enforcing his rule. And yet Jesus comes along and holds his power and, and, his, um, and his authority in a totally different way. In a way that was humble. In a way that actually came to serve people. And it actually said, no, we as people who live as citizens of this kingdom, with this Jesus as our Lord, we don't have to worry even if people are coming against us and, and are aggressive towards us and are having the kind of... Um, you know, uh, attitude that the Roman Empire had towards them. Jesus as Lord invites us to actually live under his lordship in a totally different way. It actually even means that not anyone or any other thing is Lord. See, you and I don't actually live under the kind of rule that the Roman Empire sort of had for their first Christians. But it's possible actually for us to be ruled by other things, by what other people think of us, by what we think of ourselves, by our body image, by what our parents think, by how much money we have, by the jobs that we have or don't have, and, um, and anything we can turn into say. And when we make those things our Lord, 
those things actually take from us. They exact payment from us. They take blood, sweat, and tears from us. You know, if you live by the opinions of other people, you have to constantly actually drive yourself to be good enough and stay good enough. If you live by what your body image is like, what you look like, you have to keep up with it. If you live by what kind of job you have or how much money you make, it can be a relentless pursuit whether you have it or not. It actually takes from us. That's what those other lords do. And yet Jesus as Lord invites us to follow him as the one who actually gave us his blood and his life for us, who needs nothing from us, but invites us to experience what he has for us, who says, I didn't come to be served by you. I came to serve. Friends, this is what it means for us to say Jesus is Lord, not government, not, not politics, not economics, not what other people think of us, not what our family thinks of us, not what our body looks like, not how much money we make, not how well we're doing in school, how many friends we have, any of those things that Jesus is Lord is actually a beautiful declaration that not only the early church began to say and tell everyone, it's something that even today we say, yes, this is good news. The worship team's gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a song that actually uh, we've sung quite a bit before, um, it's, it's called The Lion and the Lamb. And uh, it, it's maybe like a, it's not actually a strange, uh, maybe a strange reference for you, but it was actually comes from the book of Revelation. It's a description of the kind of Lord that Jesus is. That he is both a lion, he is strong. He, he is stronger than the things that seem to have more power over us or around us. And yet he carries his strength like a, like a lamb a lamb that was slain actually, that he is approachable, that he is, he is humble, that he is kind, that he is gentle. He's not like any Roman emperor. He's not like any other leader we know. He is stronger than them. He is on the universe's throne. And yet he is gentle and humble like a lamb. And so I want to invite you as you sing, if you know the words, just to sing along, if not just to reflect on how, and just to, to worship Jesus for the kind of person that he is. Your own life anymore. It isn't up to you to do better, get better, be better, to fix yourself, forgive yourself, to find your own purpose, to make sure you do everything you're supposed to do and you, you, know, you steward the gifts and the talents and opportunities you have. It's all up to you. That's not actually how life works with Jesus. He says, come, let me lead you. It's actually freedom to say, okay, I don't need to be the Lord of my life anymore. I don't need to be on the throne of my own life, giving myself direction and making it all up to me. There's a freedom that comes when we say, okay, Jesus, be the Lord of my life but he also rescues us from being the Lord of our own lives. And, and here's, let me just put it this way. You may struggle as to whether you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, but I can tell you that everybody around you wants Jesus to be the Lord of your life, right? Like everyone, whether it's a boss, a spouse, a friend, um, a pastor, a coworker, whatever, we, don't we want them all to be more like Jesus? Don't, don't we want the people around us to forgive us again and again and again when we keep making mistakes? Don't we want the people around us, the people we work for, the people we're married to, the people we do life with, um, to actually use whatever power and opportunity, influence, and money they have in the service of others? Don't we want them to be gracious and kind when we offend them? Don't we want them to be slow to anger, abounding in love? Don't we want them to, to have compassion just flowing out of them for everyone? Don't we want them to treat everybody the same? Yes, that's exactly because we want, everyone around you wants Jesus to be the Lord of your life because that's who you become. You become more like Jesus. It's actually we are rescued from being the Lord of our own lives. 
say, actually, the person I want to become, the person, quite frankly, everybody around me, my wife and my kids, they need Jesus to be the Lord of my life so that I would actually become more like him. And this is the beauty of what he has done for us, is actually saying, you're not only free now to not be the Lord of your own life, you're actually rescued from being the Lord of your own life. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you some time to reflect on this question. How has Jesus freed or rescued you from being the Lord of your own life? This is, uh, the band's going to actually come and lead us in a couple of songs that just describe what the Lordship of Jesus looks like. Like, what does it mean to have him as Lord? And so we want to invite you as you think about this, as you reflect about this and say, yeah, what has he freed me from? You know, the weight of having the pressure of having to, to do it perfectly, to say, I don't have to be the Lord of my own life. Or what has he rescued you from saying that I couldn't fix myself, my character, my habits, my patterns, whatever, that Jesus actually freed me and rescued me as well. And so they're going to lead us in these two songs. And I'd encourage you just to actually take the time to listen to the words and uh, to reflect on them, to let them become sort of, um, you know, to, to lead you and to worship him as Lord. So good to reflect on how good it is that Jesus is Lord. You may have sort of a question, well, how, how does that actually happen for Jesus to become Lord? I know for me, actually, it's something that has to happen over and over in my life because I'm constantly fighting for control of the throne of my heart. I constantly um, am tempted again to become the Lord of my own life. And so it's something that you do once and then you do again and again and again. The scriptures say that when we do that, even for the first time, for some of you, you may say, okay, I think maybe this is actually what I want to do. I, I'm actually wanting to be freed from being the Lord of my own life. I want to be rescued from being the Lord of my own life. The scriptures say when we actually say, okay, Jesus, come in, take the wheel, take the throne, that we actually become new people and that God does something miraculous that actually the church celebrates on this day. It's actually called Pentecost Sunday. It was the thing Jesus told the disciples when he was ascending into heaven to say, wait, I'm going to send the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we actually invite Jesus in to say, okay, be the Lord of my life. He actually comes into our lives that now because Jesus is reigning and not just in one place at one time on the earth, but actually has taken the, the heaven's throne and is reigning everywhere at all times, he now is able to be with us and in us, just like he was with the disciples in one place at one time, he is able to be with all people who say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. The gift of the Spirit is both the presence and the power of Jesus with you and in you. And that is what we celebrate today on Pentecost Sunday, that God actually gave us himself, his spirit, to come not as someone that we can see with our eyes and touch with our hands, although we know Jesus is alive, but now he comes to live actually in us. Jesus actually told his disciples when he was going to leave, and they didn't know why and what he meant in any of that. He said, actually, it's better if I go because I'm going to send the spirit who will come and be like me on the inside of you as I begin to live my life from the inside out of you, changing you from the inside out. This is the gift of Jesus with us and Jesus in us. It is how our lives begin to change and become more like Jesus as we follow him. 
And that was actually Jesus' invitation for us was not only to make him Lord, but so that as we make him the Lord of our lives, we become to look and think and act like him. Like we become more like him. And that is the gift of the spirit. And so what I wanted to do for, for you, really just pray for an experience, a filling of the spirit for two different groups who are listening today. There are some of you for who this is, you've never actually done this. You've never actually opened your life to Jesus and said, okay, I actually need to let you become Lord. You never realized that's what he meant when he said, follow me. And I want to pray that if you're, you're actually doing that this morning, you can just say to him, Jesus, okay, come and take the throne of my life. Take over. Be my Lord. That, that was the earliest, the three words that the disciples went around every saying, Jesus is Lord. And that was the confession. That was the thing people said when they began to realize, wait, Jesus is my Lord. I want him to take the throne of my life. So you can just say that. And I'm going to pray for you that you will have an experience of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ in you and with you. And then for those of us that said, yeah, I, I've done that before, but I'm constantly trying to take the throne back. You know, that's certainly my experience. I just want to pray for a fresh encounter of the Holy Spirit filling you, that you would know and experience Jesus with you um, and Jesus in you, that the things that you might be tempted to, afraid, to be afraid of or to go and sort of say, okay, maybe this thing is the Lord of my life that end up using you up and, and emptying you to say, no, Jesus, I need a fresh experience of you. You are the Lord of my life who doesn't demand blood from me, but you have given your life for me, that you are the one that actually makes me more alive as I make you the Lord of my life that you have freed me from having to do this myself and, and be better and do better and forgive myself and fix myself. And you have actually rescued me from me being the Lord of my life. I want to pray that you would have a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit. And so would you join me as I do that for you? Jesus, we thank you that you have come to free us and rescue us, that you have come to actually live in us and live your life through us, that our lives day by day, bit by bit, more and more can begin to look more and more like yours. That is why Jesus is Lord is good news. Because you're not just reigning up there. You're not just greater and more powerful than all of the powers in the universe. You are actually reigning in our hearts and our lives. And for those that are saying yes for the first time to this, Jesus, be my Lord. Free me, rescue me. I pray that they would experience your Holy Spirit just pouring into their lives, pouring into their hearts, that they would actually feel. And we can't see you with our eyes. We can't touch you with our hands, but we can know in our hearts and even experience you in our bodies to know that you are here, that you are with us. And then I pray for those of us, Lord, that just need that again, that fresh experience of the reality of Jesus with us and in us, that you would take the throne back in whatever ways we have taken it from you, trying to live on our own or be independent or feel like it's up to us or look to other things that are lesser gods that are just not good enough to be the Lord of our lives. Would you take over again in a fresh way so that our thinking would be rid of fear, that we would be at peace knowing that you are on the throne, not just up there, but in here, in our hearts as well. And so it is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that we pray. Amen. I want to thank you so much for uh, being with us today for, and I hope that this has been a holy pause, a time to stop and just listen and reflect, to let the words of the songs and the words of scripture, um, and hopefully the voice of God to you um, be ministering to your own soul.